So hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Jack Perry, and welcome to the next episode of Fan to Fan Combat here on uh, presented by WMC Sports. So today we have a match consisting of topics based around the world of the English Premier League, or some of you know it as British soccer. As is the format, we will have eight questions, each consisting of two opening statements and a debate. Whoever has the best argument for a question gets a point. And at the end of the game, the person with the most point wins. Most points wins. So without further ado, uh, let's get it started. So today we have sending in one corner, uh, Brennan Hartloaf of many WMUC sports fame. So how you doing today, Brennan? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to talk some Premier League. I know both of you guys are big soccer fans, so it's been it's nice to kind of have some other guys to to talk football with. That's great. Thank you. And the other side here in the other corner, we have fellow podcaster and WMC Sports podcaster Sam Culp. How are you doing today, Sam? Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, obviously, excited to get into it. All right. So let's get started. Our first question. So this is a little bit more rumor news, so it makes sense to have it on fan to fan combat. But recently, after losing in the Champions League to Istanbul, but um, Istanbul Başakşehir, I believe I got that right. I think so. Uh, Ali Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, the Manchester United manager, has come under a lot of heat, and it is rumored that he is going to be shortly replaced by Mauricio Pochettino, formerly of Southampton and Tottenham Hotspur most recently. So Manchester United, a very public club, has had its struggles in the past months. And I just want to ask you guys both, uh, starting here with Sam for the first question, who is more to blame for the recent struggles of this team? Manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or director Ed Woodward? Well, the short answer is both. I mean, they, they both have had made, made massive mistakes. Ole definitely on the tactical side and, and Woodward um, with the lack of signings that have come in. But uh, for the sake of debate, I'm going to go with Ole. Um, I think it's been pretty clear, especially after the last transfer window, that players don't want to play for him. Manchester United have, a, have an incredibly talented squad. It's what pushed them to third in the Premier League last year. But um, look at Jaden Sancho. Look at, uh, you know, I think if he wanted to come to United, he would have pushed Dortmund a little bit more to, to make the move. He didn't. I think a lot of that has to do with the manager. And when Pochettino, you know, presumably eventually comes in or, or whoever does after uh, Ole is, is sacked, I think you're going to start to see Manchester United move up the table and, and start to get these, uh, premier signings that we're used to that club getting. Yeah, great. Uh, Brendan, thoughts? Uh, I agree with a lot of what Sam said, but I'm going to take the different path and say Ed Woodward is in you know the prime spot of blame because, yes, this season has been a struggle for Manchester United. They did not have a successful transfer window, but this goes back years. I feel like this is a deeper problem than just the past, you know, a couple games of this season. And yes, your European con- contest hasn't gone well in the past couple of weeks. They have struggled in the Premier League, but this is now the fourth manager that United has had under Ed Woodward. And that's, I don't think, a coincidence after all the success that Sir Alex Ferguson had there. So you look at 
the man that's the one kind of responsible for the signings. And obviously we don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes, but there has been several accounts that Woodward has been vetoing signings, not even for just Solskjaer, but going back to Jose Mourinho and, you know, just they seem unwilling to dish out the cash. That was kind of what I thought on, you know, on my end that held back the Jaden Sancho transfer is that Dortmund wanted a lot of money. And I would say rightfully so. Sancho is an incredible player. He's a young player. He's English. He's we know the market value for those kinds of players. So, you know, I think that it's just kind of the Glazer family and Woodward not willing to put up that money. And Woodward has shown that he's not capable of handling transfers. His first transfer window, I'm pretty sure it was Maron Fellaini. And that was kind of it. That's just not good enough for Manchester United. So I would kind of point the finger at him because Solskjaer can kind of only play the cards he's dealt and, Woodward's the dealer in Manchester United's club. So I think that a lot of that blame is on him for not getting the right players in and not working with the managers to build the best squad possible. Yeah, many would say Flaney was interesting. And the rumor prices for Sancho were about, I believe, 90 million pounds was what Man United was willing to pay. Dortmund wanted around the area of 120 and they weren't able to come to a compromise. So you guys can both uh, talk it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. I agree with a lot of what you said, Brendan. Um, I think you do have to go back to after Sir Alex Ferguson left. They, they really haven't regained that form. I think the biggest question, or the biggest, um, I guess, mishap with, with how Manchester United has performed the last couple of years is it all stems back to when Ole was hired. I question why he was even hired in the first place. His two previous managing jobs were at Molde in the Norwegian Premier League. You know, come on, that's not even close to the level of the EPL. And he also managed Cardiff in the Premier League, but he got them relegated and was subsequently fired. So, you know, you have to look at why he was, he was, um, he was given the role of manager in the first place for United. That's on Woodward, absolutely. I just think that as it stands now, United's problems lie with the manager slightly less than with Woodward. I, I just think um, tactically he hasn't, uh, you know, done what's uh, made a game plan for this squad for them to win. They're losing one nil to Arsenal team that, you know, they're, that's less talented than United. That shouldn't be happening um, with, with the talent that they have. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was, as I think most people were very surprised by that hire of Solskjaer. And then I was kind of thinking of, well, why is this the guy they went with? And obviously my first thought is he's kind of a Manchester United cult hero from their successful times under Sir Alex Ferguson. And you see a lot of former players having success as managers of their previous clubs with Zidane and Lampard. And that's a, that's a little iffy right now, but you know what I mean? Um, but then I kind of thought a little bit deeper and well, why was he their choice? And I kind of thought that, you know, there were other high profile managers out there did they not want to come to the club because they knew they were going to have to deal with Ed Woodward and knew that they wouldn't get the transfers in that they wanted? Because that has been, you know, historically the case with Manchester United, like I said, with Mourinho, now Solskjaer and Louis van Gaal and pretty much every manager that United has had under Ed Woodward. So did these top tactical minds that would provide them success on the field not want to come to the club because they knew they wouldn't get the pieces that they needed? Now Solskjaer was coming in because – 
dream job for him. Of course, he's going to take that. It's the place he loves. And yeah, it was a massive step up and he showed well for a little bit, but I think that was kind of just the individual talent of the players, not necessarily anything he was doing tactically, but I kind of took it as like stepping back from the situation looking, why were they not able to either pull someone away from a different club that has shown a track record of success at that level? Because obviously the Manchester United job is very high profile, but were their apprehensions because they knew they weren't going to get the transfer business done or just other things behind the club because of Ed Woodward? Uh, well, I think that here thought about it a bit, but I'm going to have to go for this question with Sam's points. I believe that deep down, this team does have enough talent to really do it. And Ole has been, uh, not really executing well, not putting Donnie Van in the starting line. It's so dumb, but there, um, yeah, so I would go with Sam here and yeah that's for that question so next up it's a little bit more broad but still focusing on team Arsenal's as you said before has beat Manchester United most recently 1-0 often Aubameyang penalty and they're looking not that bad last year they were kind of a disappointment and they didn't have a lot of talent but Starting with Brendan first, do you guys think Arsenal are good enough to challenge for top four this year? I'm going to say no to top four. I could see top six maybe being a possibility. I don't mean that as a cop-out. I just mean I don't think they have what it takes to be in that top four. You look at the team, and it's kind of interesting because they have so much young talent that's coming through, which for Arsenal is incredibly exciting, incredibly promising, and should not be discredited at all. You have some very you know, promising young English talents coming through, which is huge for any Premier League club. Saka. But yeah, Saka and Niketia and all these different, you know, players, Kieran Tierney, if you want to go back to the signing, maybe not necessarily out of the academy. Um, but I look at maybe the leadership of the team. You have a Aubameyang. And then after that, it gets a little murky almost. They have experienced guys, William and stuff like that. But I think it's going to be difficult for them this is a long season, a very long, very grueling Premier League season. We're only on the time of recording November 6th. So there hasn't been that much played just yet. You're going to get to the holiday period where there's just so much congestion of those fixtures. And you need to have the leadership and the experienced heads to get you through that, to lead these young players through that. They've never gone through anything like this before. And so I think what you might end up seeing is that they started off strong because they're fresh they're young they're hungry but as time goes on I think they could lose a little bit of momentum and Mikel Arteta has been I would say a positive step but is still very hit or miss a lot of times you don't always know what you're going to get from him over a long period of time and so I that's kind of the question I see with Arsenal is that are they able to sustain this over the length of a full grueling Premier League season that really is unlike any other. We're still going to have COVID cases. That, you know, England and UK has gone back into lockdown. It's not going great. You might have some players that aren't able to go in team. I think there's just so much uncertainty, and you're coming off of a season that finished very late, not a lot of time in the off season, and 
you're coming back in. You look sharp now. Can you keep that going? I don't think Arsenal is going to sustain that to get top four when you have teams like City, Liverpool, Chelsea, if United can get themselves together. All the Tottenham, these teams that have a little bit more experience, some more experienced heads to guide those young players through it. I just don't see if they can keep that pace all the way through to the end of the season. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Um, they're, they're a very young team, you know, they, which is a positive. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of young players that are going to improve in, in the next couple of years. However, the reason why I think Arsenal can contend for the top four is the transfer window, what the signings they made in the transfer window and the deals that they made. First of all, most importantly, re-signing Aubameyang, their top striker, they needed that. He's been slow to start the year, um, but, I, you know, he's going to pick it up. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Um, second signing, and honestly, the guy who I think has been their best player this season, that's Gabriel. Um, he's been so good in that back line. He's exactly who they need uh, at the center back position, and um, he, he's made some big plays for them over the uh, over the last couple of games. He was incredible against Manchester United, um, and he's been a big signing for them, and, and he's shored up that back line that really struggled last year. Um, and then the third signing, and probably the highest profile guy was Thomas Partey, um, the midfielder formerly of Atletico Madrid. Um, he's only played, I think, two or three matches with Arsenal, but already you can kind of see his impact. He's a box-to-box -box midfielder. He's, he's done a good job of, um, you know, providing uh, some really nice balls to Aubameyang and, and Lacazette and, and Pepe and Willian and all those forwards that Arsenal have. So, you know, I think they can contend for the top four. Will they get it? You know, we'll have to see, but um, they definitely have some really good pieces in place going forward throughout the season. The key part, I think, for them is staying healthy. You know, that that's an issue with, uh, it, it seems like, every club this year, but especially um, now that the Premier League has gone back on the five subs rule, only three subs, um, they have to stay healthy because their depth isn't there. But if they do, uh, definitely a top four contender. Yeah, I think they also unlike a team in Manchester United have struggled to win the big, big games as of recent. And I mean, I, I don't even think I call Man United a big game anymore, but they've been struggling to kind of get over that like hump, if you know what I mean. But they, they do seem as if they can be down on the other slower teams. Here, here's where I'll just say that that United game was actually, you know, a huge turning point. They had lost before that match 29 straight um, games against, or sorry, hadn't won 26 um, or 29 straight games away at a big six club. They do that against Manchester United. That is a turning point, I think, for Mikel Arteta. That is one of the humps that he, that he need to get over since, um, since really the, the days of Arsene Wenger. They hadn't done that. They hadn't gone on the road and beaten a big six club. That's a big deal. So um, we'll see if that carries them forward, but I, I do think that is kind of a get over the hump moment. Yeah, and I would I would agree that they Arsenal is certainly trending in the right direction. I think a couple of years ago when we saw Arsene Wenger on his way out and just the club was really in a state of disorganization, I would say, and they were not spending any money. That was kind of the joke about Arsenal for the longest time. Mm -hmm. They've now shown a willingness to make high profile signings like Thomas Partey. And I think they've brought in several players, all the ones that Sam just mentioned, that really will improve the squad. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time 
for them to start gelling with the team in what we established is a very crazy season. Um, you have these younger players coming through. They're still going through a lot of firsts themselves, the, these young talents. And so I don't necessarily think I see them getting to top four this year, but I would f- feel pretty confident in obviously there's a lot of things that can change before next season. But I think having this full season with these new signings, with these young talents, they may not get top four, but by the time that next season comes around, they will have other transfer windows to get other players in to kind of bolster that in different areas where they have injuries or just need to improve the quality or add depth. And then I think they could really make a push for that top four and kind of restore themselves as one of those big clubs. Yeah. So here, for this question, I'm going to have to go with Brendan because I do think the point that stuck in my craw the most was the point about depth. They do not have a lot of depth at all, even though their starting line is very – some would say it's talented enough to keep up with the big boys. But – so, yeah, we're going to – we're tied at one. I'm going to take this one with Brendan. So, moving on. That, last point, if David Luiz is one of your first players oh. on the bench, you do not have enough depth. Oh. So, that's, that's kind of where I'll leave that. Jeez, man. Put him in a back three, he'll get beat every time. But <laughs> – Next question, which is about arguably the biggest club in the Premier League, Manchester City. So there have been some rumors creeping up through the rumor mill, as I believe uh, Pep Guardiola, their manager, his contract runs out in the summer of 2021 and it has not been renewed yet. Pep obviously failed to get them through the Champions League last year as they lost to the young and there have been some rumors thrown out here or there. They haven't had the greatest start to the Premier League season. So my question is to both of you, starting with Sam this time. Will Manchester City actually move on from Pep, or is it all talk? Well, I find it unlikely that Manchester City will, Manchester City will move on from Pep. I think it's more likely that Pep will move on from Manchester City. Um, I think Barcelona, I think he wants to go back there. It's his hometown. Um, you know, I think that's a very real possibility that, that he goes back uh, to Spain. Um, but, you know, Manchester City, they've gotten off to a rough start, but they're going to improve. They're, it's, it's, it's a guarantee that they're going to get better. They, they have a, a, uh, they battled injury with Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero. Um, they're going to improve. So I don't think Manchester City is going to be looking to move on from Pep because he is one of the best managers in the world. I think it's more likely that Pep moves on from City. Yeah, I, you actually took pretty much my, my same argument is that I, it would almost be silly for Manchester City to say, nah, sorry, Pep. We, we don't want the best manager in, or one of the best managers in the world at our club. Um, I think you have seen this season things get a little stale I don't know if that's the right word but it just seems like things aren't as they're they're just not clicking as much for Manchester City and you saw when Pep came in how much he just revolutionized the team with his tactics and just his orchestrated movements that were you know inch perfect in training just to kind of replicate on the field it really was this big turnaround this big change and now I think you've seen that change take place but teams have started kind of figuring that out a little bit and I think that you know, Manchester United is, is, or Manchester City, excuse me, is kind of stalled in, in that way. And so I agree with Sam um, that I could see Pep Guardiola choosing to move on, especially with 
you know, it, it wouldn't be that he's getting sacked or he's getting fired. It would be one of those decided to mutually part ways or something like that. Um, and Pep Guardiola, I think, is an interesting character because he's not like a lot of managers. He just, the way he thinks about things, not even just on the field, just in terms of the challenges he wants to take on. Uh, several times in the past, he's said he may want to retire very early. Like, he might want to just step away from managing for a little bit. I know Jurgen Klopp has said that, you know, he may step away for a year or so after Liverpool. But I just, I don't know how to get inside Pep Guardiola's mind to think about how he views this. Because I'm not sure what his next step would be. He's a guy that likes to take on challenges, you know, going from Barcelona and having so much success there to going to the Premier League, to one of the most competitive you know, leagues in the world and taking over Manchester city and making them just so dominant. What what's next for Pep? I, I, Sam said he could go back to Barcelona. I think maybe I, I think, and I would need to check this. I feel like in the past couple weeks, I saw him say that he, the kind of book is closed on that. He doesn't exactly want to go back and revisit those things of his past. He looks to go to the next new thing each time, but I agree it would make a lot of sense for him to go back there just with what's going on at the club, what his connections to the club are. It could make sense. Um, But I think that, you know, his time, he's had a very good run at Manchester city. He has a lot of incredible things to be proud of in the premier league. The only thing I could see keeping him there is the champions league and to get city, you know, to win that before he goes, you know, I think that, that's kind of something losing out in the Premier League last year that he may feel like he he needs to prove that one last time. So I, I agree with Sam, and I know this is not exactly the the point of this is not exactly to agree with the other person, but um, I think that you know it's very likely that Pep is the one to walk away, not Manchester City. So if you guys do agree, I do want to add another question on top of it. Sure. Obviously, Ronald Carmen does not seem as if he is the permanent solution in Barca, but. In terms of this situation, do you think that this is mostly the media trying to push a or sports media trying to push a storyline that's like, oh, anticipate Pep moving everybody, da, 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 clicks, clicks, clicks. Or do you think this is more of Manchester City higher ups contacting media and them thinking, well, this year we've got you Ferran Torres, we've got you Ruben Diaz. Like, if you don't do anything with this in the Champions League, then there might be a problem. Well, it is definitely a media-generated story because we're very early into the Premier League season. And as I said, City have not reached their full potential um, under, uh, you know, this year with, with injuries and whatnot. Um, so it, it's a media-generated story, although I do agree with Brendan that Pep is very unpredictable. We don't really know what's going to happen. He keeps his cards very close to his chest. So um, we'll see. On, on Manchester City, note, I would just say that um, they have a very good squad, but the one part of their team that I feel like is lacking is the left side of their defense with Mendy and um, uh, Laporte. You know, that's kind of where I see Manchester City struggling in the Champions League. Teams are going to attack that left side. So, um, you know, it's not a perfect squad, but, um, you know, I, I don't think they're going – Manchester City would move on from Pep. That just seems uh, unlikely. So it's a media-generated story, really. Yeah, I would agree. And I think you see that a lot. And especially with these 
players or managers where it's very unpredictable. We just went through the whole messy debacle. And with, again, with the same two clubs, Barcelona, Manchester City, two very media dependent clubs, I would say, where they try to get stuff out. They try to have their name in the conversation all the time. Um, And so I think that, you know, just such a high profile club and a high profile manager, you're going to have these stories. I feel like it happens so frequently, especially with, you know, his links to Barcelona, again, another big team that likes to be in the media. To Sam's point about it not being a perfect squad, he's absolutely right. Um, and I think as you get deeper into the Champions League, some of those weaknesses are going to be exploited. Now, Manchester City, correction. I'll say Pep Guardiola is not really one to make big January signings all the time. And the reason for that is because he is so meticulous in his game plan and his tactics that he wants everyone on the same page from July preseason all the way through to the end of the season. They will make moves if they see fit. And this may be a season where they see fit to go out and spend some money if come end of December, things aren't clicking. But I, unless Manchester City takes a very bad turn and, and does not turn around, because right, they have not met their full potential this season, if they do not show signs of that, that's when I think you see maybe during the season, you know, things start getting a little tricky. But I would say it is mostly a story based around Manchester City's current performance. And if they are able to turn that around, I think you see those conversations in the media start start to quiet down a little bit. So two very similar arguments here. However, what got to me this time was the analysis of Pep Guardiola and his mind and his unpredictability. So therefore, Brendan, nice points. And we have a two to one score. Moving on. An interesting question about a team that some people saw coming, some people didn't. Leeds United. So this year they've gotten out to a pretty hot start, even though they've been calmed a little bit as of late. Uh, So this is a question about their manager, Marcelo Bielsa, whose tactic called the Bielsa Press was questioned coming into this year. Would it work? Would it not? And they seem to have a pretty good thing right now. Patrick Bamford, the five goals, we'll talk about them later. But question overall is, will Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United have enough to keep a top six place in the table this year? Brendan, start with you. I mean, you talk about unpredictable managers going from Pep Guardiola to a man that influenced him so, so heavily, Marcelo Bielsa. Um, I mean, he's a nut job, but like a lovable nut job. And I just think all the stories that come out about him are so fascinating. And it shows in his teams. I think that you see that his eccentricism kind of comes out in their game plans. And you're right. The, their, their tactics were questioned coming into this season. And I think almost rightfully so, especially with the team coming out of the championship. Um, top six, I think, will be hard. Just because, as we've talked about, there is so much unpredictability with these other teams. And, you know, you have teams now like Everton that are maybe kind of in the conversation. They've, they've made some improvements. And, um, you know, Carlo Ancelotti is a strong manager. I think it's not as much going to be about Leeds not able to do it themselves necessarily. I think that 
it's just there's going to be a lot of other competition. But Leeds has the ability to do it, I would say. You look at that, I think it was the first game, the very early game against Liverpool. Liverpool was stunned. They didn't know what to do. Leeds United's game plan disrupts the opposition so much that they are then able to pounce on that and take advantage of that. And if you did that with Liverpool, who ran away with the title in a very crazy season, kind of not against all odds, but in spite of all those you know challenges and difficulties, if Leeds can do that to Liverpool, they're going to be able to pick up a lot of points further down the table. And I think that will potentially wear off a little bit as teams start to see Leeds play more. They're not a team like Pep with Manchester City that make big drastic changes to their game plan to throw off the opposition. They are so confident in what they have there. They will make small tweaks, obviously, with injury or tactics or based you know, against the opposition. But I think you do have the potential for teams to almost figure them out a little bit, especially maybe some of the bigger teams that can capitalize on those mistakes. But they have a very good thing going. They're very fun to watch. And I think when you get new additions to the Premier League, like Leeds United, who has such a rich history and now playing such exciting football, I think is really strong. Top six is going to be tough just because, like I said, the other teams, it's so unpredictable that you're going to see a lot of movement in that top six. It's possible, I think unlikely, but we're kind of just going to have to see. But I'll go with probably unlikely just because of the other clubs that may be up there. We just don't know yet. I mean, top six is is always hard. Um, it's going to be incredibly difficult for, for them to get to that level just because of how competitive the Premier League is top to bottom. Not even just talking about the uh, the – the clubs that are expected to, be, to uh, get into the top six. What I will say for Leeds, though, and something that, um, Brennan, you kind of touched on, was that um, Bielsa has instilled this mentality into Leeds of resilience, of fight, of the pressing the entire game. That's not an easy thing to, uh, to um, instill on a team throughout an entire season. Um, and so far, they've, they've kept with it. You know, they have lost some, some games pretty bad. Leicester 4-1. Um, most recently, but one thing I think it is important to note is that they bounce back from re- losses really well. Early in the season, um, they lost to Wolves. I think it was one nil. They bounced back by beating Aston Villa, who at that t- at the time was um, on a great run of form. They beat them three nil the game after. So um, I think what's what could carry Leeds into the top six is just this constant press, this constant counterattacking game that. Bielsa has them running and it does wear down teams. We see it. We've seen it all the time against Liverpool. That's a great example. Best team in the Premier League. They were worn down by Leeds. It was the first time in a while that we saw Liverpool worn down by a team. So um, it's definitely something to look look for for the rest of the season if, if Leeds can keep it up. I think they will. Top six, again, questionable. Top 10, though, I think is very, very likely. Yeah, also just want to quickly butt in here and say, Helder Costa is one of the most underrated players in the Premier League, and he has had a, f- a fabulous year for that team. And I think he's gone very overlooked in that squad due to his uh, maybe some would say lack of goals, but it, I, he's amazing. Well, I, I would also say that Leeds has built a very strong squad, and they've built a, a lot of times you look, teams either, you know, sign players bring players in and then find a system that fits the players or 
you have a system and you bring players in that fit that system. And I think you see with Liverpool and Manchester City, those are teams that have a system and bring players in to fit those systems. I think you see teams like Manchester United, who we talked about earlier, they don't have necessarily this consistent philosophy. They're bringing in pieces like Donny van de Beek, who sitting on the bench, does he, what system, like what, why was that signing made aside from just, he's a good young player. How does he fit in the team? So I think Leeds has done a really good job of that. They did some fantastic transfer work in, in the window that brought players in. They're not, high profile signings i would argue rodrigo is probably the highest profile signing which i think is a steal for them but he fits their system it's not that he's this star player he fits the pressing system he's a very active forward that has some versatility to him so i think they went out and found players that fit that pressing which is difficult to keep up through an entire game and even more difficult to keep up through an entire season so they built that depth that will allow them to keep that same tactical philosophy throughout the course of the season it's not like if you have one guy that goes down or is tired you have to completely swap around how you're playing you have someone that comes in takes that spot and continues that consistency throughout the game throughout the season so i am maybe kind of spoiling my own argument a little bit but i think that they have done a lot of work that will allow them to be consistent and push right like sam and i kind of both said like right up against that top six maybe get in but again, stay at the top. Yeah, on the, on the topic of underrated players, I mean, Leeds have several. Um, I think I know we're going to talk about later Patrick Bamford, but I feel like it's important to mention he was actually criticized last year when Leeds were in the championship for not scoring enough goals. Leeds were at the top of the table the entire season. He was criticized for not scoring, uh, you know, um, for the amount of goals he scored. And already this season, we're seeing him kind of break out in a way um, so he, he's played really well, had the hat trick against Aston Villa. Um, he's really important to the squad because if he can get going, that means that um, you'd presume that that uh, the, the defense doesn't have to push up as much. They can stay back. I think that's probably Leeds' uh, weakest part of the team, the defense. But, um, yeah, you know, the consistency is, is going to be really important to watch, you know, um, I'm going to kind of backtrack on my point too. I just think I'm a little bit worried about um, about just the the competitive the other teams in the league and if they're going to be able to uh, keep getting these big results against the top six sides. We'll see. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to watch. They're definitely the most fun team I think this year in the Premier League. You know, they're even if they're playing Newcastle, I feel like it's a much watch game, must watch game, just because of the system that Bielsa has. Yeah, they are truly electric, I would say. And here stuck out to me the most. In I think in all sports, I personally love hearing about a system. I was reminded by that by Brendan. They do have uh, system players come in. Actually, that Rodrigo signing, I think, was very criticized at the time because people were kind of like, well, you might have overpaid for Rodrigo here because you didn't really make a lot of other signings. But I also think... Uh, Robin Koch on defense, great signing, underrated, out of Germany. And, um, yeah, I I would agree with the uh, kind of wishy-washy but system <laughs> arguments here by Brendan. So, if you want to score, good job, guys. Next question. This one is 
insanely broad, but I think it's something that is especially relevant in the Premier League today because it's happened so often. I mean, we see most notably, I believe, with uh, Temu Puki of North City last year, who lit up the league in the first, I don't want, I don't know, like four games and then had one goal the rest of the season. So what player, not necessarily even a goal scorer, just player in general, do you guys believe will significantly cool down after a hot start to the season? Uh, Brendan? That, that's an interesting one because there's so many players you almost want to keep up that pace just because it's, it, it's fun to have maybe new faces or guys that aren't normally those high profile ones succeeding so well. Um, and uh, I feel like we've talked about him a lot already and I know we're going to talk about him again later, but I'm actually probably going to say Patrick Bamford just because he has had a lot of success so far this season. He's been incredible. He's been, you know, the focal point of their attack. Um, I just, I, he's not proven at this level just yet. And I think that's a challenge for he's, it's tough to even call him a decently young player because it feels like he's been around forever. He's just been out on loan all the time. Um, but I think that he's made that step. He's made it well so far. But again, like we've talked about a couple times so far, that consistency over the length of a very grueling campaign. The only thing I can think of is he was in the championship, which is also a very grueling campaign. And Leeds kept up that pace. But as Sam mentioned, wasn't scoring a ton. So... I, I think it's going to be difficult because you have somebody like Rodrigo who's right there. And if Bamford shows, you know, kind of a dip in form, I think Rodrigo, Bielsa is ruthless. I think Rodrigo can come into that team and then kind of by default, you're going to see Bamford cool off. So I think he started well. Again, I would love for him to keep that up because it would mean Leeds is kind of firing on all cylinders. But I find it a little... I'm a little hesitant to say that he will be able to just because the campaign is so hard and he has struggled with finding the back of the net in past seasons on a consistent basis. I'm going to go with Hamas Rodriguez. Um, he has started off really hot as have Everton until, you know, the last couple uh, last week, but um, you know, I was kind of actually choosing trying to decide between Hamas and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I'm going to go with Hamas just because I'm looking at the previous seasons when he was, again, at, at he, he was at Madrid, he was at Bayern. And both years, he started off with those teams pretty well. Seems like he, he, uh, he, he, was, he was playing well. He was getting back to that form that we saw in the, uh, in the 2014 World Cup. You know, that, that brilliant player, that, that world-class star that we were all hoping to see. And he's looked pretty good um, to start the season. But the main problem that he's had um, over his career is injury. And I just, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy and continue to produce at a high level for Everton as a whole. I think that's their biggest issue, staying healthy and um, staying up to par with the rest of the Premier League. Um, but with Hamas, you know, I'm, I'm really worried. He's such a fun player to watch too. It's, it's going to be so disappointing if he gets hurt, but that's my choice um, just because I don't think he's going to be able to stay on the field enough to continue this hot form. I think Sam makes a really good point because he has struggled with injury a lot. I think that's what you see from a lot of these players that start very hot and then cool down. It's maybe not necessarily because 
they're just not performing, it's because they just can't be on the field to perform. And so I think that's a pretty good point. The only kind of counter I would make to that is that Carlo Ancelotti has coached him. I think this is now his third time, third or fourth, I think. Byron and Real Madrid, yeah. Byron and Real Madrid, yeah. And I feel like he's always been able to get the best out of James Rodriguez. You look at some of his, you know, longer stretches of form, and they've been under Carlo Ancelotti. And I think if you've managed a player three times, you, you know how to manage him. I don't mean that in terms of tactics. I mean in terms of minutes and how much you're putting him through. You know, you know him well enough when to take him off, when to leave him on the bench to start the game and come off and make an impact. But I think that Ancelotti knows him well enough to be able to kind of handle him and, and keep him as healthy as, as he can. Um, but I think he's playing him in a very interesting role at, at Everton in that it's not necessarily maybe what he's played in the past, but it's kind of been adapted for the stage he's at in his career. He has, as most players with his age, have lost his pace a little bit. And that's not something he had a ton of to begin with, but I think you see him now kind of in a bit of a freer role out wide, but he's not looking to take players on one-on-one. He's floating into the spaces. And I think that's something Everton has lacked a little bit over the past couple seasons is just that kind of creativity to come from different areas of the field. And I think Hamas brings that, in a way that Everton ha- hasn't seen. So if you have Ancelotti managing his minutes well enough to keep him healthy and know kind of when to pull the reins back a little bit, I think that frees Hamas up to be a pretty integral part of, of Everton's attack. But I agree with Sam, you know, track record of injuries. We've seen that time and time again with, with some big name players that have kept them out of form sometimes. I mean, the difference between Theo Walcott and Alex Awobi and James Rodriguez and Abdullah Decore is something that is massive in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Brendan. Um, you know, Ancelotti is, is a tremendous manager. He's going to get the best out of James. But, you know, I'll, I'll point to the consistency again with Everton as a whole and specifically with James. Um, you know, it's concerning the past couple of years, the the way he's, 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 it seems like every year he starts off hot and then over the course of the season, we kind of see him cool down. Even under Ancelotti, it was still kind of that way. It's like by the end of the season, I, I was always wondering like, why am I not hearing about James more? Where, where did he go? What happened? Um, so I'm worried about that this year with Everton. Again, I don't want to see it happen because he's such a fun player to watch. And I agree in that uh, kind of, uh, winger role he's really excelled and it's something that Everton really needs to get uh, Calvert-Lewin in the air because that's where he's at his best really so um, but again you know injury consistency that's that's why I'm, I'm saying uh, Hamas is going to cool down so for this question in particular the point that just stood out to me the most was Hamas in general because I do think he's had an scorching start with that creativity role but I really do like the injury points I think even though actually last year in the championship Patrick Bamford statistically had the most missed opportunities on goal out of any player uh that's why he's and I think he's he maybe has the same this year actually do not check me on that but I think I think he does I looked earlier I think he's one if not Two, maybe. One, one, if not two. So it is a trend he does have. However, I think he's still just going to get production with that high-powered offense. And I'm going to go with Sam here just because great pick, Thomas. Not really a pick. Great, great job. So this one, 
next question I think is probably, even though we had our first question about Manchester United, this is definitely the most high profile question I'm asking. Uh, so Kylian Mbappe got some rumors thrown out in the rumor mill that he's asking PSG for a raise similar to Neymar's pay packet right now. They're not really willing to do so. Mbappe is kind of feeling maybe a leave what many are saying possibly to the EPL possibly to Spain but in both of your guys opinions which club could you see taking a shot slash probably signing at Kylian Mbappe next summer starting with Sam first of all He's, he's leaving PSG. There's no doubt in my mind. He wants to move on. He wants to go to a bigger club. That's fair. Um, even though he's, you know, he's already probably gotten to that superstar level, I think he wants to be playing against the best players in the world on a daily basis. Um, so there's kind of two clubs that I'm looking at, um, and that's Real Madrid, biggest club in the world, you know, uh, arguably, um, you know, to play under Zidane and with that, uh, with, with the great pool of players that, He's able to get every year for Madrid. That 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 would be great for his career. But for the Premier League, and I think actually the most likely option for him, it's Liverpool. Um, it's been rumored for a while. Klopp has said that he's he doesn't want to spend the amount of money it's going to take to get Mbappe. But he said stuff like that in the past. And you know, Liverpool is a high spending club. It's why they've gotten so good. It's why they're you know uh, been a title contender for the past couple seasons. The biggest issue though is money. And we'll have to see how Liverpool generates the funds to get Mbappe. I think, uh, you know, pointing to the front line, you probably look at out of those three guys that are there right now, Salah, Mane, and Firmino. One of them is going to have to be sold. I think it's Firmino. I think he's on his way out already. I think in the next season or so, he's probably going to be sold. And that will generate the funds for Mbappe somewhat. They'll have to spend some some more cash. Obviously, I think the evaluation right now for Mbappe is closing in on uh, like 300 million pounds or something insane. Yeah, like 250, um, 270. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting. But I think if Liverpool can get the money and, and um, you know, get Mbappe to sign on, which I think he will, then it's it's a done deal. And it's the best move for him too, coming to, to England in the best league in the world. The Premier League is the best league in the world. Um, it, it'll be a great move for him in his career. I, I've seen the Liverpool rumors too, and I think you know it does make a lot of sense. They are arguably the best team in the Premier League, and he's one of the best players in the world. So it seems almost kind of like a match made in heaven. And it's funny you bring up the Firmino thing because I have a friend that works for NBC covering the Premier League, and he and I were talking about this morning about if Diego Yota should take over for Firmino in that central role. He's been, ama- now, he's been amazing. He has been amazing. And so I... I'm still hesitant. And the only reason is because going back to the point I made earlier about um, players that fit the system, not a system that fits the players. Liverpool is very much the players that fit the system type of team. And I think I won't get into the whole Firmino thing because that was not the question. But my, my point being, if Liverpool was to sign Mbappe, I don't necessarily see him forcing Salah or Mane out of the lineup initially. Again, there's some older players. There can be exceptions that obviously are made. But if you're talking about Firmino out and Mbappe in, I don't necessarily know if Mbappe fits 
that central role in the front three for Liverpool because what Firmino does so well is not only just his ability to link up with those wingers because that's where Liverpool's goals come from. They come from wide areas. And Firmino doesn't score that much, and that's one of his biggest criticisms. But at the same time, Liverpool isn't getting those goals from their wings without Firmino. You look at the balls played into him and then his ability to kind of channel it out to the wings. Um, but also just his work in the press to win that ball back over, I think, is like very, very valuable for Liverpool. And I don't necessarily know if Mbappe is that type of player. He's much more of the clinical finisher, maybe the beating guys one-on-one, kind of the speed from the wings. And it would be difficult to fit three of those players in the same front three, which is kind of the only apprehension I have about him going to Liverpool, unless it's Salah or Mane out, which... I, in, in this moment in time, I find a little hard to believe. Um, Manchester United is the other team that I've seen Mbappe link to. They have the money, but going back to the point earlier, I honestly think if Edward Woodward is still Manchester United, they're not getting Mbappe. It's just so much money. I don't see them putting it out. And until they get a manager and system that works really well, I, I just don't know if that's the move for Mbappe. Um, I would say probably the most likely would be Manchester City just because it's the draw of Pep Guardiola, a set system, and they have the funding to do it. But that's my Premier League pick. But I honestly, to kind of step out, I know all of our conversation has been about the Premier League. I don't necessarily know if I see him coming to the Premier League. I agree with Sam that it's the best league in the world. I just think that in terms of the finances of the deal that are going to be immense, that just to me screams Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, just the, the money that they dish out, the players that they attract, the leagues that they're in, the what they do in the Champions League. I see those as kind of being some of the big draws. The, the, the spotlight of the Premier League is great for Mbappe, but he's he's a smart young guy who wants to make moves for his career. I could see him going to one of those and then to, to the Premier League. Um, but I would probably say Real Madrid right now, just because Barcelona is kind of in shambles um, with their whole club and organization, as we saw with the Messi debacle this summer. But, you know, I would probably say Real Madrid right now or Manchester City for the Premier League if I had to pick a Premier League team. A couple things I'd like to add for our viewership just to note. So in order for the Liverpool deal to go through, I think what uh, many people aren't really realizing is that they need to sell somebody because I don't even think any Premier League team has 270 mil to dispose on a player at like the current moment. Maybe Chelsea, if they dig a few hundred millions out of Putin and just then do it all. But I mean, if we're thinking about it, I think that there's no way that they get Mbappe without selling either Salah or Mane it's just kind of impossible, I think. But on another end, in the Mbappe front, I would say that, um, yeah, that, yeah, I want to add that. Financial fair play is such a big thing that I think this is going to, that's going to play into this is because he is going to cost, cost so much freaking money that our team's going to be able to make other signings in that window. I feel like you look at these teams that if you're going to, Flash almost 300 million and unless you find some way to lower the deal I, I i don't even know how you would do that um but i think that you 
it would need to be a team who is solid all the way around, kind of is on a good ground right now. They, they have their footing that they can spend that much money and know that they're really not going to be able to bring anybody else in because you look at all these teams and they do not want to have to go through the, you know, detriments of breaches of financial fair play. We saw it with Chelsea missing the transfer windows. We saw it with that near Man City scare of missing the Champions League. I, I think that these teams aren't going to want to take that risk unless they're solid and they know that they can make that deal without any huge negatives coming from it. But I just want to make two points. Um, first of all, with Firmino, it's not going to be enough to just sell him. They'd have to sell more pieces. But also, just I, I agree with you, Brendan. Firmino does do a lot, especially with tracking back. But I think Sadio Mane can slide into that center role and do very similar things. I think Sadio Mane is one of the most versatile players in the Premier League. It's supremely underrated, his ability to do everything on the pitch. It's why I think of him as one of the best players in the Premier League. Um, so, you know, if they were to, to sell for, uh, Firmino and, and bring in Mbappe, the system would have to change slightly because of how Mbappe plays on the wings, you know, that's his primary spot. But I, I don't think it would be a complete, you know, overhaul of the system. I also agree with you on the financial fair play. Uh, you know, that is a big part of it. But could they sell Salah? Is it that far out of the question? I think he's getting up there in age. The timing does work against Liverpool because people expect Mbappe to move on this summer. That's probably a little bit too soon. But maybe if they can wait another year, is it really that crazy to think of them selling Salah? I don't think so. I think it can happen. I think in the Premier League, the best chance, uh, the, the most likely club to get Mbappe is still Liverpool because they are a rich club and, um, you know, they can make the deals to get him. And I do think he wants to play Mbappe does under Jurgen Klopp because he's the best manager in the world. So um, it's definitely a big draw for him. So... What I'm thinking here is you both made amazing points. Like this was a probably our best discussion of a question so far, but I would say I am leaning towards Brendan here just because of the fact in those last seconds talking about selling Salah, I don't believe you can do that because you have to replace, what is it? 20 guaranteed Premier League goals with someone who's never played in the I mean, Mbappe is amazing, no doubt, but everyone has a bust potential. And if you're trying to replace somebody with a bust potential with the maybe top two player in the Premier League, top three, then I don't think they would do that personally. And probably they would have to sell Firmino on top of that. So I am going to go here with Brendan. Great top guys. We have only a couple more questions. This is a closer game. This is four. It's four, two right now. So these last two questions are also very important. They're great. So seventh question, and this is an early year checkup, if you will, but starting, I believe with Brendan, which individual player, has impressed you the most so far in the season? This is regardless of team success and regardless of records, just what, yeah. Yeah, so when I first looked at these questions, I was like, great, I like looking into some stats and you know, kind of do it that way and see who's performing, stuff like that. But then I thought it was pretty telling just the first player that popped into my mind. And 
it's weird because I feel like I don't think about this player a ton, but the more I did, the more I kind of chose him for this answer. And it's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which he's been very hit or miss, and I get that, and we talked about track record and stuff like that. But I think that Everton's, dare I say, at Goodison Park, building something a little special. Um, you've seen some of the players that they've brought in this season, and I think they improve their team. Um, I feel like Everton over the past – like how many times have we talked about Everton making a really great signing over the past couple seasons? I feel like they've just kind of been the there. The Keen disaster. Yeah, like in, in like Pickford, that is a whole different thing. Um, but as we all shake our heads, um, but I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I, I don't know. And maybe it's just the fact that I feel like we don't see too many center forwards that head the ball in as consistently as he does. I feel like to quote Alan Smith from like FIFA 16 or whatever, it's almost like a lost art. And I, you have guys like Harry Kane to stick with the English, English forwards. It was a good job at that, but I, there's just something about Dominic Calvert-Lewin this year that I feel like he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's kind of a guy that when he first came into the Everton team, we we're just like, oh, like he's another one of these young guys that Everton's just kind of having to plug in the lineup. We've seen that with a lot of teams. Like for some reason, James Wilson came to mind, like former Manchester United, like whatever happened to him? I couldn't even tell you where he is right now. And he was like a guy that was so promising and just kind of fell off because United just needed to put him in, into the lineup. But um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has shown – progression each year i would argue and yes he has had some bad misses that it just happens it comes with the territory and i i but this year i think with the players that are around him with james and you know all these other players that everton has added to their team he's getting good service he is a forward that needs service and he's shown different dimensions to his game he's quick i feel like you know we kind of just look at him as the guy that heads the ball in on set pieces or crosses or something like that he he's shown this season I think that he has different dimensions to his game and I think he's almost kind of in the wrong place wrong time with Harry Kane being the starting forward for England and that doesn't look like it will change anytime soon just because of his track record but I, I've liked what I've seen from Dominic Calvert-Lewin and I feel like Everton hasn't gotten a ton of attention the past couple of years but he's shown steps each year towards becoming a more complete well-rounded center forward that he he has shown well this season and I think if he can keep it up there's you know the potential for him to maybe move up to a, a more important club a more important role also really quickly I do want to say this sorry Sam Gareth Southgate is terrible move yeah. on Sam <laughs> yeah he is he's, he's pretty bad um <laughs> I think it was in one of the friendlies England played he he started uh Mount over Grealish I think he might have even kept Grealish off the squad and I'm a Chelsea fan and even I know Grealish should be in that England lineup every match it's incredible he'll, he'll probably be sacked uh, in, in in the coming year but um, getting back to the question this was really tough for me too um, there were a lot of players that popped in my head uh, I think Wilfred Zaha for Crystal Palace has played really well I think Son for Tottenham has played really well but I got to go back to Chelsea and go with Edward Mendy. The impact he has made for the Blues, it, it's, it's incredible. You, the, the bar was, granted, set very low by Kepa. Very, very low. But when you have a, a competent goal, goalkeeper in the net for Chelsea, it, it, it makes such a huge difference with the back line because it gives them the confidence to know, yeah, if, if I make a mistake, if a ball goes by me, 
I got a guy there in Mendy who can make the save. He has uh, six clean sheets in his first seven appearances for Chelsea in all competitions. I think that's it's the first time Chelsea has had uh, five clean sheets in all competitions in a row since 2010, I think it is. Uh, you know, right away he's made an impact. The back line has improved, so that's part of the reason why they're getting these clean sheets. But he's also just made some incredible saves um, against Manchester United. He was incredible. He kept that at a nil-nil draw. He made some great saves. Um, and, you know, I just look at which player has had the greatest impact for their club, and it's Mendy far and away. Yeah, I think Sam makes a very good point there because I played goalkeeper all growing up. And I know that, especially at the professional level, having a guy behind you that you have the utmost confidence in does so much for the team. Like like Sam said, just knowing that, you know, obviously you don't want to make mistakes, but knowing that it's not a certain goal like it would be with Kepa if it get that, gets past you, um, I think does does a lot for Chelsea and their confidence. So not to bolster Sam's argument necessarily, but I think he, he does raise a lot of very good points that it was a change that needed to be made. Kepa was the most expensive goalkeeper in the world and it just did not pan out. It just it just didn't. He maybe needs a change of change of scenery because we've seen that he can be a good player. He's a he's, he can make good saves. He just doesn't at Chelsea for some reason. And I'm not I'm not really sure why that was. I don't know if it was the step to the Premier League. He's still a young guy, you know, kind of uh, just maybe a, a difficult adjustment, but he had time and still didn't show. So I think Chelsea absolutely made the right move bringing in Mendy. Um, and then as we're sitting here talking, and I'm not changing my answer from Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but some somebody that I wanted to give some credit to is James Ward-Prowse for Southampton. I So I, I've loved watching him for years now, but I feel like he's finally like really stepped into his own and he's added so much more work rate on his defensive side of the game before he was just the guy that was really good at set pieces and really good at long passes. And now he's rounded out so much of, of his game. We saw him score two goals from free kicks Off and set pieces. on his birthday. Yeah. So obviously that I feel like we don't have that much anymore. And I'm just, I'm a sucker for a good like free kick goal. Um, but I feel like he's really rounded out his game so much that he's gotten the armband for Southampton. He's shown that he's a leader for that team. He's still a decently young guy. Um, I would love for him to move on to a bigger team and get that recognition, but I feel like he's just kind of the heart of Southampton right now. It might be kind of hard to to get him to make that next step, especially if he's not going to be in the starting lineup. But beside the point, I think that he's shown that he's a much more complete midfielder that I think should get a lot more recognition. And a part of it's because he's at Southampton and Southampton is getting, getting better, I guess, but like, you know, a, a English center midfielder for Southampton gets overlooked when you have such high profile players in the league. And so I think that he's done, he's done a very good job. I think with that specifically, I think seeing Ings in front of him has made him more confident as a player. And you also see that whole team's changed too. Che Adams is looking like he's not terrible and like, (laughs) like Theo Walcott's back and he's fine. So yeah, I think that was a good point, Sam. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, Southampton, you know, even though they're, I think they, did they finish top 10 last year? They were close. Uh, you know, they've definitely improved, but um, the, their players will still be overlooked just because it is Southampton. Um, going back to my Mendy point though, I would just like to, to just reiterate um, the, the fact that um, Chelsea needed a goalkeeper like Mendy. 
They needed him super badly. And Frank Lampard, I think, even towards at the start of the season when Kepa was once again playing bad, he was almost saying that, yeah, we need a goalkeeper. Like, he couldn't because, you know, Kepa's still in the squad. He doesn't want to completely undermine him. But, um, sorry, um, the impact that, uh, you know, he's made is incredible. Will he keep it up? We'll see. You know, it's, it's a long season. It's only, you know, uh, I think it's like uh, – seven or eight games that he's played for Chelsea. But um, it's just amazing to me the, 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 the impact he's made. And as a Chelsea fan, I'm really excited to, uh, to, to see if he can blossom into that next great Chelsea goalkeeper. So about this question, great arguments on both sides. Again, great job. I will say, and I put it down here, what has stood out to me the most was Mendy for this reason. I think we have seen a couple of those mistakes in the Chelsea backline. Like I've seen Thiago make like two or three really bad errors while Mendy was playing. And they've, uh, some of them have been cleaned up. Some of them haven't, but I do think that Mendy has definitely made, I mean, I'm not a fan of Kurt Zuma. I think he's playing a little bit better than he should be because of the impact Mendy's giving him along with uh, Chilwell, who's looks Okay, but I yeah, I'm going to give this to Sam. However, I would like to say Dominic Calvert-Lewin has impressed me very much. Gareth Southgate sucks. So we are at 4-3 right now. Last question is coming down. I can hold that lead. And it is – it's a very interesting question for the last one. I'm not really sure why I put this last, but I do think it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, so these players – have not necessarily been standout so far in terms of their numbers. All of them, some of them have, some of them haven't, but they are all players that have been put with or have had expectations put on their shoulders in the last couple months or so for this season. So for our eighth and final question, which player will finish the season with the most goals? Timo Werner, Mohamed Salah, or Patrick Bamford. And we're going to start it off with Brendan. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take Patrick Bamford out of the conversation just because of the points I made earlier. Um, I think he has the ability to be very good this season. I, I'm not taking anything away from him. I think he's shown that he can score in a lot of different ways, which is for any good goal scorer who wants to climb up the, the scoring charts, you know, needs to have. Um, I, I think that, like I said earlier, he may not have the consistency to do it just because of the track record that he has shown. And I also think part of this is that, like I said, Rodrigo's right there. Like they paid a lot of money for him. If Bamford isn't showing well, be also, like I mentioned is ruthless. And I think it honestly just could be a numbers game. Like Bamford may just for a part of the season may not be starting as much, which Obviously, you can't score if you're not on the field. Um, so I think that that makes it a challenge for him. Um, and also just because Leeds isn't one of the bigger teams necessarily. And so they are going to struggle against some of the bigger competitions. He will be shut out by some of the better center backs in, in the Premier League. Um, I don't necessarily think he can just kind of have his way with some of the mid to low table teams and, and get those kinds of numbers above Werner and um, Mosala. 
Timo Werner, I think, is an interesting case because he's a, a player I've really liked for for many years now. Going back to to RB Leipzig, um, I just think he's such a he's almost kind of a unique player that I, I feel like is he works so hard, he's so fast, he's so lethal in front of goal um, that normally you see this more from a winger, and I think that's where you see a lot of players of, of his style have success but he's had so much success from a central area, which I feel like is sort of almost an anomaly a little bit, especially at the, the level he's playing at. Um, but he works so hard. And I think that Chelsea has brought in a lot of really good players with, with Werner and Ziyech and Kai Havertz. And you already had Christian Pulisic, which obviously I'm very, very biased there. Um, but I think you have a lot of players surrounding Werner to give him service. However, I think that can also be a case to say that there's going to be a lot of goals coming from a lot of different areas and will Werner be the one getting those chances every time he has also had some injury problems in the past he's been a little better recently but he does have a track record of getting you know some knocks here and there and you know he's also been playing different positions he's been playing up top when Pulisic has been hurt he's been playing out on one of the wings so he still produces. Do not get me wrong. He's a fantastic player. He is a forward with confidence that I feel like is a game changer. Chelsea has not had in a long time when he took that one down and kind of put it up and over top of the goalkeeper. I can't remember Chelsea forward doing that in quite a while. I don't want to go as far back as Drogba, but like it's, it's been a while. Um, so I think coming to Mo Salah, as we talked about with, you know, Mbappe, you would be replacing, a very known commodity in the Premier League, and that is Mo Salah. He shows that he scores goals. He has had dips in form, and he, or dips in scoring. I wouldn't even necessarily say form, because he still finds other ways to influence the game when he's not the one putting the ball in the back of the net. But I think this year, he's he's going to be that goal scorer that we've seen time and time and time again. He has been confident. He has a great team around him that hasn't shown a lot of turnover from last year. Um, I think if he he's one of the most clinical finishers, I would maybe argue in the past couple of years of the Premier League, just when he gets in front of goal, he's not he's not skying him. He's not putting them wide that going back to Bamford, too. He, he misses a lot. And I think that he'll get some chances, but he'll put them wide. So I think that kind of is a detriment to him there. But for most all, I just think he's such a confident player. He has been in the Premier League. He there's, there's not a lot that has changed around him. And I think consistency for a goal scorer in their own play as well as the team around them really does a lot to kind of help them continue to put the ball in the back of the net. So Mo Salah is tried and trusted in the Premier League as one of the most lethal goal scorers, I think, out of those players. He just has the most going for him in terms of coming out on top. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I have to go with Salah too between – you know, Bamford, as you said, he's out of the conversation. He's just not quite there yet. But between uh, Werner and Salah, I, I do have to go with Salah um, for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Werner, I mean, I, I didn't really know a lot too much about him um, once he came to Chelsea, uh, before he came to Chelsea. Obviously, you see him at Leipzig. But I feel like his role at Leipzig is a lot different than his role at Chelsea. At least that's how it's been at Leipzig. He was their primary goal scorer. He was, um, you know, he, he was their main, uh, you know, focal point on the attack. With Chelsea, he's kind of working in a system where, uh, you know, Lampard likes to really emphasize the wings. A lot of the play goes down the wings to Pulisic, Ziyech, 
um, uh, Havertz, whoever's there. Um, so I don't think he's going to score, you know, a, a, a astronomical amount of goals. I just don't think that's the way Frank Lampard's system is going to work. And I also don't think that's the type of player he is. He's really dynamic. He's, he's more of a playmaker to me than that, um, than a top fit. He is a top finisher, but that's not really his, um, his go-to component on offense. As for Salah, I think another reason why he's going to score a lot of goals, and this is just simple, but people people forget about it often with goal scoring is penalties. He's Liverpool's you know main penalty taker. Werner isn't, um, and as we saw over the weekends, the referees are very loose. It seems this season with giving penalties, and Salah is going to get a ton of penalties, and he's going to convert almost all of them, and that's going to increases total. So, you know, I think Salah is the the favorite by far. I think there could be a sleeper candidate though. You talked about Calvert-Lewin. Um, you know, uh, uh, we could see one of those other Chelsea players make a run into the into the top of the goal scoring t- uh, uh, table. I also think that uh, Aubameyang is going to really bounce back strongly. Will he, be, will he be able to make enough ground to get back to the top uh, of, of the goal scoring list? We'll see. I also think Jamie Vardy is going to, you know, he's he's going to score a lot of goals. That's all he does. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure that Salah is going to finish with the golden boot, um, but he's definitely the favorite between uh, him and Werner. And you talk about Werner and he's not quite that forward. And I, I would agree because having, you know, watched RB Leipzig just because Tyler Adams is there and, you know, they're kind of an exciting team. They played in kind of like a 4-2-2-2 almost. It was kind of a narrow formation. And Werner was almost always playing next to Joseph Paulson, who's like a 6-4 Dane. And so you had that, like, balance between the big target forward guy knocking it down for the speedy forward playing next to him. That's not how Chelsea plays. You're not seeing Giroud next to Werner where you would have that. And I think that... Werner's going to kind of like what Sam said, have a different role in the Chelsea team compared to what he had at RB Leipzig. Um, so I think it is going to take a little bit of time for him to kind of adjust. And like we said, maybe be that more creative role where he's maybe not the one scoring the goals, but setting him up with his pace and stuff like that. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, a, a use in a different system could kind of hinder uh, Werner's, Werner's ability to put up more goals than some of those other guys. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was, I was just going to say, you know, that's, that's right on. Um, you know, I, although, you know, I think as the season goes on, the criticism, uh, it's, it's not right, but Werner will be criticized for not scoring goals and maybe that will spur him on to, to, um, you know, uh, start converting a little bit more because I do think he's missed some chances early on. Um, but, you know, Salah is just so consistent. He's so good for Liverpool and he's going to get those penalty chances that um, that he's going to convert. So I think the reality just is that Salah is, is the better goal scorer. All right. So this has been a tough decision for me, mostly based on the fact that you guys both choose Mohamed Salah. But I will say here, where one person did go wrong is that, Sam, unfortunately, Timo Werner actually has become the main penalty guy for Chelsea 
Dur- uh, against Ren, he scored two goals from the penalty spot in the last week. I mean, I, I know Jorginho is the guy, I'm aware. But I think that actually because of Jorginho being willing to give up some of that role and not necessarily forking it, that we've seen Werner in recent weeks kind of heat up a bit. I believe he he's scored a couple here, a couple there. And I think that he really just needed the time to get used to the Premier League. I think he may still have that kind of shot there. But I, I know he's not the, the main main guy. I'm not saying that. I know it's Jorginho with the little hop kick. I'm aware. But because uh, my guy Bruno Fernandez does that too. But just based on the fact, swayed me a bit. A little unclear. I am going to have to give final question to Brendan. Brendan Hartloaf, the winner here in this match of sorts, fan uh, fan to fan combat episode two. So quickly, I just wanted to thank both you guys for getting in the ring today and finding out. Great job, both of you. This is amazing episode, and I want to thank everybody who's listening right now. Uh, second episode. Thank you for tuning in, and. Got a lot more coming soon. Uh, next week, I am debating Ben Curtis, another WMC sports person. So stay tuned. And thank you. We'll see you next time on Fan to Fan Combat.